gathering about gardening. gardening. Yeah, that one. Uh, my Thai pepper. So pepper plants kind of, when they're young, they just have one shoot that goes straight up normally. Like there are some differences like the ghost mm-hmm. pepper that's sitting right next to me. That is just a monstrosity of sorts. Anyway, details. Um, so it'll shoot straight up and then it'll fork. And then after it's forked, it'll just shoot sideways with a couple more leaves and then start then that's when it'll start like really filling out really throwing out little flowers so that it can make the delicious peppers Mm -hmm. i'm getting close i'm getting close rob so how long do you predict it would take until you get flowers flowers oh for like fully developed flowers it could be as little as a week okay yeah and then peppers would that be is that like a seasonal thing is that uh it's hard because we live in calgary mm-hmm. and so you might i'm also not, not planting in the ground i'm planting in potting soil with fertilizer and the fertilizer i don't think i'm using the right one because i'm getting a lot of flowers and a lot of green growth but i'm not getting a lot of peppers so I might need to go to a specialty shop. Luckily, they're in the same family as tomatoes and people are nuts about growing tomatoes. So there are tomato specific like uh, fertilizers and stuff that you can use. Okay. So that would work with peppers. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. They're nightshades. Also, I think potatoes are also nightshades. I could be wrong. That doesn't sound right. But no, this I'll give you the, no I, doubt, it I really guess. doesn't. Maybe I'm thinking of eggplant. <laughs> Maybe. That sounds That's, more yeah, reasonable. It's a bit more believable. <laughs> the only nightshade right. vegetable humans eat is the potato. What? So then, so then, this potatoes are the only nightshade, not but tomatoes. Tomatoes. Definitely are. No, no, the only vegetable. Peppers are fruits. Potatoes not a vegetable. Yes, it is. No, it's not. What do you call a potato? Like. A starch? I don't know. The Uber tuber? We're not talking about the food guide. We're talking about. <laughs> I feel like it's not a vegetable. Botanically says, speaking, you eat your vegetables. You're not talking about potatoes. Botanically speaking, peppers are a berry. If you want to get technical, yeah. Well, that's just silly. And raspberries are not berries. They are aggregate fruits. Hmm. And strawberries are some weird thing because their seeds are on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, let's get technical, boys. Definitely get technical. That's what the show's all about, really. <laughs> Basically. Mike, uh, do you want to start us off on the the couple pieces of follow-up you have here? I would love to. All right. <clears throat> Apparently, the FBI is in the business of, of breaking into phones because shortly after we, we heard that they were able to successfully crack the San Bernardino cell phone using what would appear to be a brute force slash hack method. They were able to unlock another phone that they had in their possession using what every other person uses to unlock their phone, which is a passcode. Yes. And uh, they're, they're not disclosing who gave them the passcode, but they gave it, they got it from quote unquote, an individual. So right. that's, that sounds like John McAfee's offer of using social engineering <laughs> to crack some phones. It, it really would be that, that actually probably be closest to, yeah, what who gave it to you? Here? Definitely not John McAfee. That's definitely not who <laughs> gave it to us. <laughs> they uh, 
But what was surprising is that at the end of this article here, they say that there's still more than a thousand iPhones in police custody that law enforcement can't break into. So right. yeah, but not all of those are at FBI level. No, then right. yeah, and they're not all uh, you know high priority to get in. It's sort of like if, if they're able to, that'd be good. But they're not mm-hmm. super critical, I guess. So, um, it's it's more just it's it's one of those things where I think they're waiting to be able to set precedent for a company or a third party to be unlocking phones. But I think Apple's arguing that the ability to unlock a phone is out there, whether it's through, you know, these types of methods where you're just trying to get the passcode from someone or there's third parties that exist that already do that kind of thing. So they shouldn't have to go to the manufacturer to build in, uh, you know, a so-called backdoor into the, the unlock system. So, yeah. Did you guys, uh, did you guys watch the new CGP gray video? Did you talk about it last week? Uh, I don't think we talked about no. it. I'm not, it might've okay. just come out, but I, I don't know. I've, I feel like we did talk about it a little bit, maybe not on the show, just about how it was, we weren't probably the target audience, people who actually pay attention to encryption and know about the case. Uh, it was more for people who have no idea what encryption is and just kind of explaining it. Yeah. It was one of those, one of the couple of CGB gray videos that he's released in the last couple of years where I was like, this, uh, this isn't for me. I, I watched it, but. I didn't get a lot out of it because I already know most of it because I've been paying attention. Mm. I really liked the video iPhone. Yes. Which, which I thought was was clever. It's also like, <laughs> do you remember what you ate, ate for breakfast two days ago? Do you remember your exact location on April 13th, 2013? Because your phone does. Yeah. I was going to say, in response to that, I know... I know where I was or like I, I know that I don't need to remember where I was at whatever day or whatever time because I know my phone knows. Yeah. It's <sighs> it's interesting like on that note kind of as a tangent in the whole Gian Gomeshi debacle where you're trying to rely on testimony and the fallibility of memory of human memory and how the thing that decided that verdict was the unreliability of the witnesses and how they were unable to recall specific events that happened and they quote unquote forgot that they happened, whatever. Mm. And then, you know, in their, in their defense, it's that same thing. It's like, well, would you remember an email you sent like eight years ago? Like if you're kind of caught up in the whole thing and trying to remember all this, like that one specific email that was sent, would you remember that you sent it? And it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, well maybe not. Like it, it depends. Right. And, but I can see how, you might forget that kind of thing. But in that case, they were able to dig back into the the electronic paper trail and were able to find these things that were sent because, you know, computers don't forget. They're yeah. they're in there forever. Well, or as forever as you can get anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really weird kind of thing and all I mean, in the whole encryption thing, like we can get into to phones and all that, but with the FBI I keep hearing about how government just spends so much money on security and gets nothing from it. So I don't know if you guys heard the the details of this, the San Bernardino phone about how it was like a million dollars the FBI paid to get the phone crack. And then they, it came out that there was nothing that was particularly important on the phone. 
And then also <laughs> after that, they were like, oh, yeah, we didn't get anything important, but we think it was an important step to actually get it unlocked to make sure. Like, they're just going so far out of their way to be like, yeah, I know that uh, maybe there wasn't anything important on this phone, but obviously it's really still an important power that we need to be able to get into them just in case there was anything, even though there right. wasn't. <laughs> I, like, well, I think that's a valid argument, though. Yeah. Like, I don't think so. You, you want to go down encryption. The, the leave no stone unturned ideology and especially if you're investigating and trying to get as much evidence as you can yeah like i don't know because especially when i worked with border services in the document examination lab like they were looking to what was it they were looking to you know start monitoring efficiency better and better Mm. but the objection in my lab was like, well, I mean, we're working directly with the judiciary, so you could literally spend a couple of years of your life pouring over a bunch of documents and work, 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 work. And then the player, the defendant just pleads guilty and just that's your years of your life just gone. Yeah. And it didn't really amount to anything, but it was important to do right but that's not like all i'm saying is that that's not an argument against encryption well it's an argument in the judicial process yeah yeah and i think cracking the phone from their perspective was an important part of the investigation i don't think they should have the judicial power to just crack a phone whenever they want Mm -hmm. like with a back door or something like that but Mm -hmm. yeah also, on this topic, did you see that Red Reddit's uh what was it? Like warrant canary is gone? No, I I never heard about Which that. Which one's that? Really? Hold up. I'm going to I'm going to pull up this story. Cuz I can't type and talk at the same time. <laughs> um So when you get a search warrant or something like that, part of it might be prohibiting you from discussing it with other parties. Mm-hmm. And I'm opening a web page, so of course everything's going to lock down for me <laughs> cuz I just I don't know. I don't know what I need to do. It's something. The show brought to you by Tech Savvy. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is so weird. I There's so, so many words in here that don't make sense together. What do you mean? Just go ahead. I I'm just reading about canaries and warrant canaries yeah so you might not be able to discuss once you've been hit with the surveillance request so what some companies do is they release a warrant canary so in their annual update they'll say to date the u.s blah 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 has never requested blah blah from reddit and in their last update that phrase wasn't there Oh, so they haven't told anybody that they've had requests, but you know, they stopped saying they haven't exactly right law. It, yeah, it's like the opposite of a canary in a coal mine. No, it's the same. Is it? it, It's the same idea, but because their canary's dead and that's usually the sign. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And when Hmm. this was very recently, uh, within it was March 31st, 2016. 
Okay. And I guess, yeah. Now that everything is all backed up and archived on the internet, this would come out pretty quickly and they would know exactly when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, yeah, this doesn't relate necessarily directly to the Apple thing. It's just, this is a Reddit thing. Yeah. No, I just thought it was interesting. Thought I'd yeah. bring it up. So the idea is that the FBI has been to Reddit to subpoena. Well, they haven't said that, Mike. I think you just did. <laughs> Lawyered. Mike, you blew it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'd never Objection, heard that term leading before. the witness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we'll have to see. I I find this passcode story, this latest one, really funny just because it seems like it's the whole thing about they said uh, you can't be compelled to enter your passcode, but you can be compelled to use your thumbprint. And then, like, this is at least a year or two, I think, this New York iPhone that they cracked. They quote unquote cracked by having the presumably the person who knew the password put in the password. <laughs> and it's just or- like, OK, well, that's what's supposed to happen. So. Very strange. Mike, did you want to tell us the latest number update from Elon Musk on Tesla's? <laughs> I think we alluded to this in a past episode, just with a sheer number of pre-orders that have come in and likening it to how people will pre-order, you know, a phone and then it will take, mm. you know, four to six months for it to come. In this case, with the current number of pre-orders and assuming everyone kept their deposits in good standing and, mm-hmm. and actually wanted their cars and fulfilled the order. It would take six and a half years to get all the pre-orders <laughs> shipped, shipped, Rook. built and shipped. Um, yeah. so that's not going to happen <laughs> there. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that once people start getting their, you know, projected wait times, they'll start dropping their deposits or they might yeah. not, but you can, you can bet that that number will, will drop quite a bit once it becomes a reality. And and as we said in a past episode, the deposit is a refundable deposit up until yeah. whatever point. So um, I don't know if we had it confirmed, but you were saying that until basically they say your car is either ready or ready to be built. I don't know. Yeah, you at the point be. where you pick the specs you want, yeah. they, they'd put it together for you. Yeah, so I guess until you officially order your car, you're able to mm-hmm. get your deposit back. So well, we'll see what the final number actually comes to. But it's uh, and the party line is that Tesla didn't expect this kind of demand and he no. was surprised by it. But I don't know for for a thousand bucks for people who are going to get a Tesla, a thousand bucks isn't a lot. Yeah. Like they're not going to miss it. Right. Mm-hmm. For someone who's a, who's able in, to in theory. A Tesla. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's it, it just keeps sounding like the way again, the way phone companies will limit the number of phones they're able or planning to make. And then they'll say, Oh, we're surprised by the amount of demand. Now we've got, you know, however long backup before we're able to get these phones out. Uh, but this I, is a bit different. Yeah. I, I don't think this is like a manufactured delay. It's, but I mean, it's not a manufactured delay at all in that it no. doesn't, it's not even supposed to start shipping until the end of 2017. Right. But there's no way that he's surprised by the, by the reception to this. Really? Like Tesla has been hyping, or the Musk has been hyping Tesla for, for the longest time. 
Well, yeah, because yeah, that's his job. But <laughs> that's like, what I mean. No, that's my still, whole point. He can still reasonably expect that, like, there's not going to be that much demand for it. Right. For the, for context, Kent Hare's job for several months was hyping Kent Hare and getting yeah. others around him to hype Kent Hare. But he still expected that he was only going to win, but his words were a couple hundred votes. Because mm-hmm. he's a liberal <laughs> MP in the heart of oil country. And Musk is selling electric <laughs> cars in an entire network or a, an entire infrastructure built around gasoline. But but Tesla is a company. It's actually a been, pretty apt analogy, it, it I think, when you analogy. put it that way. <laughs> Te- Tesla as a company has been marketed and branded as a technology company that does really cool stuff and releases really cool cars, aside from the fact they're electric, people shouldn't care and obviously don't care what's under the hood. And they want that appeal of having a Tesla. And because prior to the Model 3 coming out, you only had the options of, you know, the Roadster, the S and the the X. And now all of a sudden you have a car that's, you know, a third of the price of the cheapest Tesla before. It's like, okay, oh, I'm on board with that because it's all relative, right? So... I don't know. Mm. I I, so, I think I still think it's conspicuous that he's surprised or shocked by the reception. You, I can see he's pleased by it and excited for it, but to be sh- like surprised and shocked by it, I, okay. I don't buy that. Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe he's like, oh man, it's gonna take forever to charge those batteries with the Gigafactory. If only I'd gotten off my ass and built a nuke, then we could have it done like that. Ah. <laughs> oh. And then he's like, just just tell people we weren't expecting this many orders. Just just tell them that. But have we talked about lithium supply as it relates to alternative energies? No, but I have a, a, a story with a clickbaity title in the show notes. Because in, in this case, with the 400,000 pre-orders, the uh, kind of the image has been used is that he need to use the entire globe's production of lithium ion batteries to satisfy the demand of mm-hmm. the pre-orders. Wow. So to put that into perspective, if if the idea is to replace you know fuel like internal combustion engines with electric cars, then you're going to need a lot more lithium. <laughs> well, it the the battery bank is huge. Like I'm not surprised. How many like how many laptop batteries is it equivalent to? The like one Tesla battery? Yeah. I I don't know. I'd have I to think it's several that. hundred or several thousand or something like that. Something like that. How you doing, Rob? Um, you just kinda seem like you're staring off into space there. Yeah, I'm looking at uh he I'm trying to find his his uh tweet about the the numbers as it was coming out. Basically, oh yeah, there there it is. Twenty two days ago. It was like the day after the the evening, possibly even the evening of uh, this the announcement of the Tesla three, the Model three. Um, he said, "Definitely going to need to rethink production planning." And that's not a guy who's like that's not a guy who's surprised. That's a guy who's like, "Oh crap, what are we gonna do? How am I gonna fulfill all these orders?" Yeah, and you like it says in this article that you posted the link to that uh, they've been making fifteen thousand cars per quarter 
but their plan is their plan in the announcement of the Tesla three, which is, which was created before these, any of these pre-orders came in was to ramp it up with the gigafactory up to 500,000 cars per year, which would fulfill all the orders and more within the first year. So saying that they're only going to keep at their current rates is not, I think not doing proper service to what they're actually trying to accomplish. Right. They, I mean, it will take quite a while, like a year after already it already being 18 months out. Another year is still a really long time to wait, but it, it, it's something that they were planning and they weren't mm-hmm. necessarily planning to get to 500,000 per year that quickly. But I think that's been their goal all along is to is to be able to handle this kind of, this kind of quantity. From a marketing and production standpoint, if they were that concerned about capability to satisfy the orders, they would have capped, not only capped the number of pre-orders they allowed, but make the deposits not entirely refundable. Like Why would be, they want to cap their deposit? No, no, exactly. No, but that, that's the whole point is that yeah. it's, it's a, it's a one or the other situation. So they, they had to know going into it that there's a possibility of having an overwhelming pre-order. Oh no. That. So many people, like the, the thing with a non-refundable deposit is that if they can't, if it turns out they can't fulfill these orders fast enough, even for their own desires, they just refund the deposits. It's a, That's fine, it's a completely refundable thing. But it's on their end. It's not people just dropping out because it's taking too long. Well, it, I mean, it could be either or, but I'm saying if if they decide, oh, no, we, we actually want to only make 200,000 of these, this overwhelmed us, people can make deposits and then those later deposits, like even a year down the road, could just be like, oh, yeah, we're, it turns out we're, uh, we're not going to be able to do this. And so we're going to refund your deposit. Uh, like they have... They have a get out of jail free card, basically, if they choose to go a different sure. way. But they obviously want to continue to make as they, they would just keep making cars for thirty or forty years, like continue making it better and better. And it, odds are, I think even because they even announced in the Tesla three uh, demo, well, not demo, but like kind of unveiling, they said this is not the final form. This is not what the car is necessarily. <laughs> this isn't like even my end. final form. Exactly. So I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, I'll have to find the, twi- the tweet that he tweeted again, uh, like a couple days later. Someone asked about the steering wheel, and he said, "Yeah, the the steering wheel in the model that ships is going to be more less conventional steering wheel, more like a like a rocket ship or like a, an airplane. Like it's going to be almost like a one of those joystick type two handed." Oh, I love what? Those. Not a joystick. Not okay. Not like a flight controller. Like the the thing that right. looks kind of like a joystick. That would be awesome. No, more advanced. It's going to be a steering wheel. Right, but you're going to be a steering wheel, Mike. You're going to be a steering wheel. <laughs> I know what you mean, but you're explaining it poorly for those who don't. What 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 would you call that? The term for that thing? I don't know. A airplane steering wheel. No, that's not good enough. <laughs> I like like the kind you plug into your computer to play a game. Yeah, is what you mean. Yeah, not but, a joystick though. A joystick right. is a stick that you move around to steer. It's somewhere in between. I think. I don't think either word is I don't right. Think so, but anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see. <laughs> yes, we will. I'm. Uh, I'm going to be very excited, no matter what. So, uh, was there anything else to say on Tesla there? We didn't, I don't think we actually said there are now 400,000 pre-orders. Okay, sure. For which means posterity, yeah. Which means they've taken in not billions of dollars like Elon Musk keeps saying, because that would be the 
based on the price of like 35,000 right. per car because they have not taken in that much money, but they have taken in $400 million because that's a thousand times. Um, but yeah, that it's a crazy amount of pre-orders. It's a, it's a crazy amount of money on anything. And to say that I, I'm pretty sure this would be the biggest pre-order like in number of any product ever. I would have to think, I can't think of any product that's been pre-ordered more than 400,000 times. Doom Maybe 3. Maybe Star Wars, like, DVD release. Yeah, or, video games could have been pre-ordered that much. Yeah. But an actual physical good, I feel like, doesn't get how that are, high. That's fine. Just, just change the goalpost for us, Rob. <laughs> just, like... I, you agree that soft shipping at pre-orders of software is different than shipping pre-orders of cars, right? I do, yes. I'm not disputing that. Okay. That wasn't yeah. your original claim, though. No, I know. I, I, I stand by the fact that it could be Let's, close, but I feel like video games are a good... Let's say the highest dollar value of pre-order, sure. so four hundred million dollars worth of yeah. pre-orders. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll grant. I, that. I would, I would grant that. Yes. <laughs> I wonder how many video game copies that would work out to. Something like eight. <laughs> a lot. 8, no, eight hundred. No, eighty thousand. Eighty thousand. I think if they're sixty bucks each, around there. Anyways, this is unimportant. I'm, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing averaging math. Uh, Nick. Why don't you completely change gears and tell us about another scandal that rocked the car world this week? Mitsubishi admits cheating fuel efficiency tests. That's it. That's that's really <laughs> the long and short of the story. <laughs> they didn't have a scandal in which they were found out, but I guess the CEO found out and went, ah, oh, damn it. Ah. Oh. We should go public. Yeah, it, it probably the point I assume with things like this, and maybe this is a cynical view as I age, but I feel like someone found out and then they were like, oh, I guess we better disclose this before we get the VW bad press because it's going to cost VW something like $18 billion to settle all their all the lawsuits they've been getting. Well, I mean, that's just good public relations so far as I understand it. I'm yeah. sure because Kaya is one room over, that'll be corrected if I'm wrong. But if you know there's something wrong, you report that news yourself. You don't yeah. wait for the media to get to that. You sure. you say, as soon as I found out, I decided to go public and offer my sincere apology to all you fun, fancy people. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's what I think happened, okay? So Volkswagen gets found out. Like mm -hmm. actually discovered, and we all know how that turned out. So then, every other automaker is probably like emailing their department saying, "Guys, please tell me we're not doing this too." <laughs> and then every other one says, "Uh," and then it's like, "Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's judge here if we need to wait till we get found out because they're going to be looking closer at it. Obviously, now the Volkswagen's been found out, yeah. or do we come forward and?" I'm assuming in this case that Mitsubishi chose the latter and said, yeah, so our, you know, our in-house testers, or no, it was, it was Nissan's in-house testers that discovered the discrepancy between the car's published fuel efficiency data and their real life results. Right. That's the, the party line they're using. Mm. Um, because the models that uh, were affected by the manipulated data were, and one called EK Wagon and EK Space, manufactured and sold by Mitsubishi, and the Days and Days Rooks 
manufactured by Mitsubishi and supplied to Nissan. So, um, okay. It's not like it's a large scale thing the same way that Volkswagen was. Right. I don't think these are very regional specific yeah. models, I think. And there's Here, only four of them. Here's something to consider. What do you guys think if I told you that someone, and this didn't happen, but I'm just, I'm conjecturing in my own mind, the head, some head honcho at Mitsubishi who's responsible for, you know, emission standards went, all right, guys, there's these new emission standards that came in. We have to meet them. Do whatever you have to, to meet these demands or you're fired. And then they were like, okay, we'll do whatever we have to do. And the guy was like, okay, good. And he winked at them. And then they went off and, and did all the stuff they had to do to, to get around the emissions testing. And then they passed the emissions tests and everyone was like, oh, congratulations. And they all gave each other million dollar bonuses. And then a couple of years later, it's like, uh oh. Uh, and now every car company is kind of scrambling to either revert these things and like giving their engineers slaps on the wrist, but secretly also giving them another bonus. I just imagine like there's all this kinds of. I don't think it even has to be that flagrant. I think you can just say like, I mean, hey, you're paid to deliver on projects. Mm. Deliver on this project. Right. Or uh, yeah, I'm obviously we'll exaggerating. Go straight it, up Donald Trump and say you fired. Yeah. Yeah. So the more I read this article, the more I'm realizing that this is actually a different thing than what Volkswagen was found for because Volkswagen's was an emissions test that they mm. were cheating, right? Well, it so, was emissions. It was emissions based on fuel efficiency. I think it's similar. Because I thought it was like percentage of whatever component that's being tested for. Yeah, it was was really high on NOx and SOx, I think. So I I don't think it was – I think it's – I think we we decided it was a correlation between that and fuel efficiency, but it wasn't specifically fuel efficiency that was being manipulated. But in this case, it was literally fuel efficiency, like fuel economy that was being manipulated by, as Bloomberg reported – varying the load placed above the vehicle's wheels. So the data was being skewed by manipulating air resistance and rolling resistance of the car's tires. So it sounds like it's a more indirect cheating and I'd almost say less severe than what Volkswagen was doing. I guess... What makes it less severe? Like, I don't know. It just like there, seems there, like there it. may be different things in that one's a, maybe one's a fuel efficiency standard and the other one's an emission standard, but right. they both manipulated a test in order to pass it in a, in a kind of sneaky way. Like VW did it electronically with their, I guess, catalytic converter was involved, but this is still going around a standard in order to pass it and continue making cars that are not as good as they seemed like right. environmentally. Yeah. Cause you would still be releasing if your car is less fuel efficient than you thought it would be uh, a costing more and releasing more CO2 and pollutants into the environment. Yeah. It just seems more like it's false advertising than right. Than false anything. advertising to the point of being below a required regulation. Because VW was false advertising too. They were saying it was cleaner burning than it was. Like, I think the whole thing is that the the manipulated data covers four vehicle models that fall under the Japanese category of K-Kai car, K-E-I. 
Okay. And it says this is a classification that covers minivans, trucks, and passenger cars, but is reserved for vehicles that meet economical fuel consumption standards mm-hmm. and are consequently taxed at a lower rate. So that's, right. I guess that would be the thing that they're trying to skirt is classifying these vehicles as fuel, cons- like economic fuel consumption where yeah. they potentially weren't. Well, and that's what they were saying with VW was clean diesel. They were saying, "Our this is clean diesel," and it turns out right. it was only clean diesel when it was being tested to see right. if it was clean diesel or not. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's similar, but it it's a different yeah. specific scenario. Yeah, yeah. But I think when we first talked about this, we likened it to the you know the doping scandals that come out with either cycling or baseball or whatever you know any sort of uh, athletic competition type sport and i think yeah you're just going to keep seeing more and more of this and either choosing to get found out or come forward and that's the judgment call to make i guess yeah so guys if i wanted an alternative to gas-powered cars and even an alternative to electricity fueled cars um I guess what I would have to do is take the route that I've started taking again now that the weather's gotten good in Ottawa finally. And developing a hydrogen fuel cell. (laughs) Well, I kind of. Does the human body count as a hydrogen fuel cell? No, it's not. It's it's not burning hydrogen primarily. No, it doesn't. It's not burning hydrogen. Uh, Well, I mean kind of, but not not like a hydrogen fuel cell would. Nick, don't take the segue away from Rob. He's trying very hard with it. (laughs) He's going to use a segue? But that uses batteries, Rob. I see what you're doing here. Not trying very hard for this segue, (laughs) Um, Nick. Nick, I'm going to defer to you on the actual uh, story part of this story because all I know is Uh the headline that I read that uh, Ottawa Gatineau, the city that I live in, is going to start using data from Strava, the cycling app, the cycling (gasps) mapping, in order to figure out who is using what roads for cycling and change and make urban planning decisions based on that data. So you use, or at least you have used Strava, right? I still use Strava. Yeah. What, uh, how does it work and what does it do for you? Other than uh, obvious. Well, like you can connect it to various fitness trackers. Like you can buy a chest strap to measure your heart rate and you're breathing and you can you can set it up to sync with like everything you would attach to a bicycle to measure your performance pretty much particularly if it's manufactured by garmin Mm -hmm. but at its base it will use the phone's gps to track your your cycling basically distance speed etc etc right but if you go to i think it's strava.com slash heat map maybe just you know google the phrase strava heat map right it's gorgeous you should i highly encourage you to go do it right now um well strava started taking aggregate data from everything like and you can mark rides as commutes as well okay so that you can differentiate saying no like i'm actually going to work i can't just give her right now i gotta i gotta actually actually deal with traffic and haul my stuff and yada 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 right 
not being a speed run, but um, <laughs> Strava can take all the aggregate data from all its users and say, hey, here's a heat map of what your citizens are doing. And so the heat map that you can access, like you and I can access, that's just like a base level thing. But they're offering municipalities, Ottawa Gatineau being one of them, I guess, the ability yeah. to access the data for some fee so that you know what the cyclists in your city are doing. Mm. And it's just, I love it. I think it first came out in London and I was just standing or just sitting there looking around and like looking at my commute from downtown Calgary to uh, Wildwood. Right. It's it's uh, pretty. You can even so, adjust the colors. Calgary is basically the river and the reservoir. That's <laughs> kind of where people tend to ride their bikes. Well, like and those is, are those are the bike lanes, though. Right. Also, like well, zoom the, in the, on the downtown and see what that looks yeah. like. Yeah. So there's like the bike path, like the Nose Creek pathway, and then the Bow River pathway, and then the Glenmore Reservoir pathway. Those mm-hmm. are pretty much the three main pa- bike uses there's like you know normal residential streets that are highlighted to various degrees that but there isn't really one that stands out as a main one like there's feeders there's feeder pathways to the main pathways that are being used but from a commute standpoint there isn't really anything that that stands out there's actually quite a few highlighted from the uh like this rural areas like people riding in from you know west and east of calgary right. from like their uh acreages or whatever well that's not even like that could be weekend riders too just right that's fair it's yeah. probably a nice bike ride so everyone's like hey i'm gonna do that this weekend right but yeah so like uh i mean you can view the bike paths as an analogy to highways like if you looked at the average traffic through calgary I'm sure based on throughput alone, the Deerfoot would would be much more impressive than Ninth Ave. Yeah. But you still need both of them. Yeah, sure. The um I it's interesting here. Uh I'm looking at Ottawa and there's a specific part of the canal in Dow's Lake where the canal loops up north to the top of the lake and then loops back down. Uh, which is how they actually get the the full eight kilometers um, is having that kind of loop through the lake. It's a little kind of cheating, but on the Strava map of Dow's Lake, you can actually see the two tracks going up and back down the lake because apparently people bike on the canal, which I have seen. I have seen a couple people, but apparently enough people do it that there's these two nice straight paths right through the middle of the lake. This is in the winter, sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Because right. otherwise it's a lake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or a canal anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is cool. Coming back to the main story here of, of yeah. Ottawa trying to use this data for planning. Mm. I don't like in Calgary, I've seen people like surveyors, I guess you'd call them sitting on the sides of bike paths with their little clickers counting people yes. that use the bike path. Nick, Where is this? Confused. I it was on the nose Creek pathway when I rode back and forth every day, uh, to work from downtown okay uh, to the northeast of calgary i guess you'd call it um 
there are people that sit on lawn chairs on the side of the pathways, clicking these things, counting people coming back and forth on the path, trying to gauge, you know, how many people are using it for a commute. I was going to say it has gotten significantly more high tech since the last time you you took that <laughs> no, but ride. See, but see, it hasn't, though, because there, there's still in Calgary. If you watch, like, if you walk the plus 15s, there's people sitting in the plus 15s, like the overpasses, using similar type counters for traffic and counting people who turn left, turn right, go through and, and that kind of thing to, again, I mean, I mean, bicycles specifically. Like, if you go to your Snapchat app and check (laughs) my story, there's, there's actually a pertinent picture there. I just I'm not going to do that, but I I want you should go right now because it would be exceedingly valuable for this conversation. How about for those who don't have that Snapchat or me on Snapchat right now? It's a story. So, Nick, if you just tell people what your snap code is. How about for people not actually sure what it is who who don't have Snapchat and since Nick can't share his code anyway, what is it that you're putting on there? Are you looking at it, Rob? I'm going to look at, yeah, I, I, well, I saw it yesterday. Okay. And what did you see yesterday? I saw a little count of how many cyclists had used, I think it was Fifth Avenue. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little automated pillar, pillar yeah, which tells yeah. you how many cyclists have gone this year alone and how many have gone today. And it was between two and 300. Yeah. Two And it was yeah. a crappy so, day yesterday. And we've had 70,000 rides through the fifth street underpass and it's april it's not even the busy season for for the cycling lanes yet so to be fair that only tells you so much that's just pure count it doesn't tell you demographics so if you wanted to know if it was male or female that were using it or a certain age group or that kind of thing you would yeah but i think like raw ridership is what they're looking for with this pilot project mike do the clicker people count age group and gender? i didn't ask they they, oh. they had they had a paper though so they were they do their click but they were taking other notes too three clicks for a white male yes. two <laughs> clicks for a white female one click so, for minorities minus I, one <laughs> clicks for super majorities <laughs> so point is there that the data is being collected already i, yeah. I think i the, the value of using this app data is good too but you can't I think it's valuable to compare it, but I don't know how effective it is as an overall survey. So it's the, a biased survey. Very what biased. difference does it... I'm confused as what demographics has to do with using roadways uh, or... Uh, I am as well. I would like to hear this. I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> I just that was a side point of the value of it's, having a person doing it versus well, a yeah. Machine. I mean, a person can record more data. That's okay. what I mean, Mike, until Mike. you get a camera and Google technology like, says, saying like, is this a cat? Than the other. You could say like, is this a man? Is this a woman? Mike. Is this person just especially androgynous? <laughs> like Mike, the Strava app probably has a setting where you can put whether you're male or female and your age. Okay, and your I'm not weight even too. Talking about the app. You can have leaderboards based on weight class. It's really neat. (laughs) So from the app itself, it's a biased survey. I'm not saying it's not valuable, but I think you have to, as an urban planner, and obviously you'd be doing this anyway if you're in urban planning, but you you put the data into context. And it's kind of like of the people who use this app and regularly use it during their bike rides, 
this is the yeah, and that's why they're saying the they're taking. everyone do this because we want to use it for right. urban planning. But you, they're not. Everyone's not going to do it. But everyone's like, not going to do anything. You're not going to have <laughs> a person sitting on every street corner and clicking what people are coming right. by. They're like, just going to use the data they have. You'd be better off at using Google's like location tracking data to where it's passive and you don't have to rely on people actually actively using the app and tracking where they're going. It's just right. But if we're pointing out flaws in logic, then that would only that would negate anyone who doesn't have a smartphone. Which is a lot less than people who aren't running this app all the time and they're using their bikes. So to complement the Strava heat map, what we should have is just a raw count of people going to and from. On one specific leg of the proposed cycle network, right? <laughs> so, okay, let's let's get away from the petty squabbling because while <laughs> I love it, it's not particularly productive. Um, the the thing for me that I really like about this is that what you can see is a that there are a bunch of bike paths that are getting used a lot, which is good, mm-hmm. which is good data that you'd want because Ottawa, like cycling, is a very important thing to Ottawa. There are groups that complain about all kinds of shortcomings of the, the the network of kind of bike lanes and bike paths and and streets that don't support bike riders at all but you can also see what major streets that do have bike lanes are being used and you can also see what major or minor streets that don't have any kind of bike support are still being used for biking and then you can address those concerns first because it's not necessarily saying oh you know only people who use the Strava app are actually on this bike street. It's saying that a bunch of people who bike use this street for biking. And so if we want to keep them safe and have them be able to commute easily, which is something that they do want to do, like that's the whole, the whole climate change thing is like, let's get off of, um, I mean, fossil fuels because of cars, but just energy use. Like if we can self power commutes, it'll be better for the environment man better for the environment better for your pocketbook like a person on a bicycle is so much less wear and tear on the roadway than a person in a car better for your own physical fitness like there's all kinds of positives to to commuting via your own power and so i don't think mike it's saying that this data is perfect it's like this is a a visual and real world example of where use of roads is and so if there's a street where there's a bunch of cyclists that are recording the fact that they are cycling there and this is a street that is either dangerous for cyclists to use but vital to their commute or just somewhere that could use be it a bike lane be it some kind of thing to help cyclists get around more easily that they could implement it there first and then address other areas Mm-hmm. yeah no, so, I, I don't, yeah the, don't i mean I, I i know that you know that i don't need to i don't need to tell you that but the point isn't that this demographic data is perfect the point is like we're trying to get to a place environmentally and fossil fuelly and in all <laughs> these ways and this is helping fuelly 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 yeah and i I love it. I'm, I'm probably, I don't have the Strava app now, but I'm on seeing this. I'm probably going to get it back on my phone. You should. It's great. If nothing else, it's actually helpful. I have found to try and uh, stick with your bike's maintenance schedule. 
Okay. Because mm. I actually looked at how much writing I would have been doing and I compared it with my uh, app. Yeah. And my commutes were low for when my belt broke. Yeah. But then I thought about how much I would have ridden around with the kids during the day when I was on my bike. And I thought, oh, yeah, I could see why my belt broke when it did. <laughs> so now hopefully I can keep track of when it's going to break again and have one right. ready instead of <laughs> <laughs> instead of thunk. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully I am uphill from where I need to go. Yeah. Can't you just carry around a spare belt with you? I mean, theoretically, yeah. Who would do that? Not me, that's for it's sure. Not, it's not like cars carry around spare tires or anything. No. No. I, no, I have carried around spare tires. Cars before, aren't, you know, operating under their own power. <laughs> or under the operator's power. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, uh, as, as this article does from the CBC, I am also going to urge people to sign up for Strava if they're not already, if they're, if they're a commuter either by on foot, cause I guess they do running tracking as well or by cycling cause it'll help inform urban planners. I think there's Ottawa. a variety of activities you can track, but Strava is really running and cycling. Right. Oh, is it actually Strava they're asking you to sign up with? Yeah. Oh yeah. man. They're specifically partnering with Strava to why get, does, get data from that the app. Why does Ottawa do so much cool shit after I leave? <laughs> we were just waiting for you. To basically, they were like, yeah. okay, next gone. Let's do all the cool stuff now. Well, see, it's just a matter of time before Nenshi does the same thing. Yep. I would argue we're ahead of... No, we're not. We're... Well, I was going to say in like just contrast between Ottawa and Calgary in terms of bike paths, I say Calgary has the edge. Yeah. And then I was like, well, maybe, but with data monitoring and I was like, well, they've put a network in downtown, not like just one lane, but an actual theoretical network. Right. Yeah. And they're tracking, tracking raw data now. And I, yeah, there are a couple they're a couple years behind based on Laurier Avenue alone. Hmm. But yeah, based There's on everything also, else, they might be ahead. Um, Ottawa legalized Uber and Nenshi called them a bunch of dicks. So <laughs> not a bunch, just the one guy. Is no, he said he said he he gets it because in his experience, like he, I think he, he definitely generalized to. He wasn't calling the drivers dicks. Not though. the drivers, was, no the 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 company, right? A bunch of dicks, right? Well, th seriously though, yeah, they they have been a bunch of dicks. They just flagrantly they skirt true. the law, and if yeah. that's not being a dick, I don't know. It's I don't no, know what I, I, I being a corporate dick is. Even even in Ottawa, where they legalized it, they, the the legalization actually passes into effect in September. But they've said we're going to continue operating until September, obviously, because why would we stop? Just because we got legalized. But yeah, I think it's really funny. So there's no good way to segue because we already talked about batteries. But Nick, why don't you tell us about your clickbait of the week? 
Clickbait of the week. <laughs> Wait, I don't have. Okay, yeah, I I skimmed this article earlier, so I was actually prepared this week. <laughs> oh no! No, so uh, lithium nanowires are, you know, one of the promises for the future of battery technology. But um, and I mean, even nanostructures in general for catalysis for batteries, like that's really. That's really the promise of the future to maximize surface area for a given substance in mm-hmm. hopes that you can actually, you know, use it for a while. But the problem is if you're cycling a battery, like, you know, going to and fro all the time, the atoms are moving. You end up with a large lump rather than this nice large surface area structure within hundreds to thousands of cycles. Mm. And... So what scientists did, where were these scientists? I don't know. I feel like it was Canadian. University of California, Irvine. Okay. So they have discovered how to increase the tensile strength of nanowires that could be used to make lithium ion batteries last virtually forever. What they've done is they've taken the lithium nanowires, they've coated that with the manganese dioxide, and they've put a gel around that. So basically you've taken these wires that just, you know, they don't do so well, like not at all under large numbers of cycles. And that's why I've been uh, critical of them previously because it just doesn't look that promising, Mm -hmm. but they, uh, they've got them going for hundreds of thousands of cycles now which is starting to approach commercial viability. I assume the energy density is going to suffer if you're, you know, cramming a bunch of stuff around the nanowires. But yeah. the fact that you can have lithium batteries last a lot longer, like that's that's a step in the right direction for battery technology. Right. Especially when you're considering like my last phone, which <laughs> its battery was not doing so well by the end of its life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I came across this story and at every like the just the way batteries work and the way battery technology wording and kind of terminology, it lends itself to the clickbaitiest of titles because it says we can now make lithium batteries that last forever. And it's like, no, that's not what we meant. We wanted to know how long the battery charge would last on an individual given charge, not how many cycles you could charge through. But uh, that, that being said, that is like that's how you track longevity of batteries. Longevity, but I'm, I'm yeah. when you say battery, this battery lasts yeah. forever. I want the power inside yeah. the one battery charge to be yeah. something that is longer, and that's not what this is at well, all. You have what, unreasonable like, expectations, like, particularly for someone with a bachelor's in chemistry. Okay, Nick, so Nick I'm not what, saying forever. I'm saying a lot longer. Nick, what you're saying about how your batteries start lasting because i i know what you mean because mine did the same this doesn't solve that does it not no it lengthens it though it 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 lengthens the lifetime of the battery yeah but that that doesn't mean that it's going to hold its charge longer yeah yeah because the capacity of the battery changes over time that's what happens when the number of cycles increases typically so if you can increase its ability to hold charge 
over large numbers of cycles, you have a battery that lasts longer. Yeah. Um, for longer into its lifetime. Yeah, there's a bit of both of what you're saying, I it, think. It sounds like the way this article reads, and maybe it's just a poorly laid out article, but it's talking about the wires that are carrying the charge, not what's holding the charge itself, right? So it's, it's testing the ability of the wires to last a X number of cycles, not how much the charge holding material is able to I, last. I could be wrong. But my understanding is it's those nanowires that are the charge currency, I guess. They're definitely part of it, I would think, right? They're not necessarily... I, I, I'm always con- confused about batteries because they, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of chemicals. Like you have the, with the electrodes, you have the actual the actual stuff that conducts like that holds the charge, but they're not necessarily always the same thing. And in this case, it, it looks like from the the graphics that there are a bunch of different things involved, like a bunch of different components to this battery. So I think it would have to be somewhere in between. It's not like it's going to last forever without any charge dropping capacity, but that would, it would last over a higher number of charge cycles with an increased capacity to hold charge longer into the, that number of cycles. Once it's not going to stay at tip-top shape longer, but it will stay well more top with uh, with 143 nanometers of manganese dioxide shell thickness. It seems as though it will last forever. It's a fi- its efficiency the, actually climbs. The, it's the, crazy. Yeah. The wire lasts forever, but if. According to Wikipedia, so, so the wire is according to okay. <laughs> according to Wikipedia, lithium-ion batteries is a lithium compound as one electromaterial. Yeah, and there's yeah an electrode that allows for the ion ionic movement and two electrodes. So the membrane, but the wires, yes. the the gold nano wires play no part in the charge holding. They they're a channel for the charge to flow through, right? Yeah, but, but these are nanowire a- batteries. They're not they don't have nanowires that charge things up. Right? Nick, is that Wait, once more. It's not like they're not lithium ion batteries that have nanowires. They are nanowire batteries in that the nanowires are actually the electrodes. That's that's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't. I don't see why you would use lithium to conduct lithium movement. Right. That doesn't. Well, I don't know why you do it that way. I'm also not a professional anymore. Um, (laughs) Let me actually read the university's release. (laughs) This is an important part of science, people. Yeah, reading. It's takes up a lot of time. It's kind of why i hated my life as a researcher <laughs> yeah it's it's a nanowire based battery material yeah so that's the nanowires like i think we're getting hung up on the term wires yeah wires usually conduct electricity but these nanowires are just the stuff that's being transferred when the battery is charged and or when the battery is cycled yeah when it's charged and discharged 
So is it that as the nano wires fail and crack, they're less able to deliver charge, thereby reducing the capacity of the battery? Yes. Because usually if you have nanostructures and you cycle them a lot, ideally you would take an atom off the tip of the wire and then when you charge again, you would put it back onto the tip of the wire, but that's not what usually happens. Usually what happens is you end up with just ugly lumps where there was once a beautiful nanostructure. Yeah. So, okay. Scientists have long sought to use nanowires in batteries. Thousands of times thinner than a human hair, they're highly conductive and feature a large surface area for the storage and transfer of electrons. However, these filaments are extremely fragile and don't hold up well to repeated discharging and recharging or cycling. In a typical lithium-ion battery, they expand and grow brittle, which leads to cracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So long story Unless short, you reinforce these... those wires with, I love this motion of my hand, by the way. Yes. The podcast. <laughs> um, nice. Unless you reinforce the outside of those wires, because then it's like, you know, instead of making a lump, it just goes in and out of the tube. Yeah. How, how suggestive <laughs> this conversation has gotten. So suggestive. <laughs> so what I'm hearing, though, is that this technology isn't necessarily it's, it's one of those technologies that isn't in like a phone battery today but it's the battery technology that they're looking to improve in the future well if you put this in a phone battery maybe maybe the battery technology in phones could get better yeah because like every technological advancement that goes into computers usually makes everything smaller and more space efficient so they can just cram more battery into it Right. Like if you've ever opened up a MacBook Air, it's like all battery in there. It really is. Yeah. This this isn't affecting energy density though, right? And that's the, pretty much what we're trying to I, improve on. Well, this advancement isn't affecting energy density, but using nanowires instead of a conventional lithium ion battery is. This is using nanowires in the lithium ion battery. That's the whole point. Yes. Like you're well, not. It seems to be confused by that. So, so my, my concern over energy density is that you have less space left to use nanowires if you're coating each nanowire. Right. But that said, if you're using nanowires, you're, I mean, you're, what is it? Your surface area is probably going to be a hell of a lot bigger. I don't know how exactly that compares to a conventional battery or a conventional cell setup. Right. But this is a step in the right direction in terms of battery longevity, which remain, which is and will remain to be a huge problem until yeah. something like this maybe gets right. in. Because the, the battery life aspect that is in devices, that's because of the just bulk capacity. That's not the ability to discharge or charge. That, and this doesn't change that. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're talking about the individual atoms being used as charge currency, you're not getting any better than no. lithium with this advancement. 
This is still lithium. But we're Kate, still talking about lithium Mike, ion batteries. Mike, this is there are lithium ion batteries that are in use in phones today, and then right. there are lithium ion batteries that use nanowires. And so this nanowire technology isn't what's in lithium ion batteries today, but it still uses lithium ions. It's okay. the same battery technology, but you applied differently. Okay. To a higher with a higher energy density. Like that's the whole everything that comes with nano is trying to store more like when you have nano uh like microprocessors they use tiny nanometer sized uh transistors just like this these are now using nanowires to try to pack even more energy density like the more surface area you have the better the energy density of a battery is and so this is using lithium ion battery technology but with nanowires to make it more efficient. And in the case of nanowires, they're tiny and therefore much more likely to get brittle and break right. than regular lithium ion battery electrodes okay. would be. That's okay. my understanding. I can see that now. Yeah, I see what you mean. Because yeah, there's there's a paragraph or the sentence that you're saying researchers have pursued using nanowires and batteries for years. Dot, yeah. dot, dot, dot. So it sounds like they're not using it because they were fairly brittle. Yeah, they're, they're now with, it's now the, with this it's the next step. Right. Yeah. And so this, the fact that they would now be able to cycle them hundreds of thousands of times instead of thousands of times would make the batteries last a lot longer. Sufficiently long enough. But yeah. they're not necessarily at the point that they're ready to be in consumer products or in any product. They're still right. at the research stage. Right. I also want to point out that any time now that I see someone in either a lab or a mock lab setting in a photo... And they're not wearing goggles. Where are your goggles? <laughs> Who is your health and safety manager? <laughs> oh, man. I saw. Yeah. They had like Justin Trudeau and I saw because of my Facebook feed, I saw Kent Hare wandering around in some lo- in some labs. Kent's just wandering around without goggles. <laughs> My my comment on the photo was on all caps. Uh, where are Kent's goggles? Yeah, where his safety yeah. glasses? Someone else responds like Kent's too cool for safety glasses, <laughs> and I just waited because another response was nobody's too cool for safety glasses, <laughs> and a like was given. <laughs> it's yeah. The, I don't know if you guys, did you guys see the stock photo that was passed around the internet a couple months ago of the people in, like, they were soldering some kind of circuit board and they were holding the soldering iron by the heated part? Oh, yeah. They were yeah. wearing safety goggles, but they were soldering. First of all, I yeah. think it was the wrong side of the surface board. I think they were soldering the top and they were just holding the, the thing like yeah. right by the tip like you'd hold a pencil. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people that aren't in the lab don't really understand and, and that's fine like it's it's willful ignorance and there's nothing necessarily dangerous about it if you're not working in a lab but it's just kind of funny to everyone else i don't even know if it's willful ignorance it's just you have a stock model that is doing photos and right it's, but they're, it's in, like, a, they're in a lab environment they're just all, like they it's a studio it's not a lab environment no it's a lab there's like uh, equipment all around like the lab room. stuff glassware Microscopes. Personal protective equipment. I don't know, Rob. Those in the know call it they, PPE. They do. They can build fairly elaborate sets these days. There's also so. like if you ever see like stock footage of big mechanical things happening, you can see people using socket wrenches wrong. 
Like they put it down on the nut and then they do the ratchety noise and then they pick it up and put it back down and then do the ratchety noise again. <laughs> it's like you're not doing it's anything. Like, it's not how those work. <laughs> that wouldn't even be loosening anything, would it? It's no, not it doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point of them is that you can just ratchet backwards and keep cranking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Oh, actors. Uh, <laughs> they don't know how to work anything except my emotions. Ah, oh, that's nice. So there are two stories here. Do do we want to maybe, if Mike, if you're good for this week, putting off this story we put off for a couple weeks now, we could do an after show dedicated to homeopathy. I'm good with that. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, I'll thank you guys for listening to this week's future chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat for past episodes and more, uh, including how to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And Not Google Play yet. <laughs> Sorry? Not Google Play yet. No, not yet. I, I don't forget to get listed on there. At through no point, fault but. of our own, through basically the fault of Blogger. But uh, anyways, that's a long story. We will uh, be back next week with more science and tech talk. And I'll see you guys later. Ciao. So the story is that homeopathy, and this this came across my radar in kind of a weird way in that it came through Facebook, which is where all the weird news stuff comes. Like it, the people I follow on Twitter would never post something like this other than right. say this is ridiculous. But people on my Facebook feed might be like, hey, this is great. And they're uh, finding alternative medicine. Yeah. This entire thing reads like uh, an anti-vaxxers like dream. That that nature news site is literally that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what that site is. Yeah. Um, and so the, the story is that as of next year. Health insurance plans in Switzerland will cover things like homeopathy, acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, or herbal medicine, and holistic medicine. And like is, the herbal medicine is basically Chinese naturopathy, yeah, yes? Exactly. And nature. On for most of those, that's fine. It it really is. I think we should have we should explore different kinds of healthcare mike you're already shaking your head so so quoting if i may okay. just jump in here mike quoting dr joe schwartz the thing about alternative medicine is that if it works it becomes medicine and it's no longer alternative medicine right so why not they're find not, medicine right they're not so, saying they're not saying alternative medicines they're citing specific types of medicine some of which are alternative some of which have been adopted as real medicine so the thing that the, the issue that i have with this article and with the, the story in general is that they frame it in <laughs> this this paragraph is really this two paragraphs is really funny just because of the way that it reads because this person clearly has it out for big pharma i get that we'll get into maybe the fact that they're not perfect but the, these two paragraphs synthetic pharmacal Literally in the article says, quote, in quotes, science, synthetic pharmaceutical science got its start in 1869 as experiments with coal tar were underway right away. Whoa, big, scary. Why are we using coal tar in our medicines? 
<laughs> Pharmaceutical companies got their start after experimenting with nasty coal tar distillations. The first drugs were modeled after textiles and dyes. Far- and then the next paragraph, pharmaceutical, quote unquote, science, again, for the most part, is an absolute abandonment of the healing modalities that have sustained humans for centuries. And they, they go on to say, oh, you know, th- these are, there are legitimate medicines uh, that come from these naturalistic things and and big pharma is just looking at dyes and synthetic things to make their medicines when that's not at all what is really happening and they're framing that to say we should be using natural methods we should be using willow bark extract in order to fight uh headaches and that kind of thing where willow bark extract is what was originally used to make aspirin and like that was where they got i saw what you did there yeah, I know. I was gonna say too, and um, it it just going back to quote unquote traditional natural kind of medicine is is just super weird because that's not how science works. Like Nick said, if alternative medicine works, it's just called medicine. Alternative yeah. medicine is specifically things that me- that science has said doesn't work or has not been proven to clinically add any benefit to the control. Which usually yeah. means it doesn't work. It does. <laughs> They're lumping in acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, herbal medicine, holistic medicine, and homeopathy. I don't... Some of these things where obviously like placebo plays an effect. Some pl- some things there is kind of clinical roles for treatments. But I don't think homeopathy fits... Like I, I would question homeopathy- several of these homeopathy if i'm remembering which one that is is <laughs> definitely bunk that's the right. like serial di- no, it's serial uh serial dilution yeah so yeah. the idea behind homeopathy if you've got like if you're allergic to peanuts the idea is that maybe if you expose yourself to peanuts just a little bit just a little bit mm-hmm you might build up a resistance over time. Which has been clinically shown to be pretty solid. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I think that works in some cases, but details. So, maybe if you're exposed to a whole peanut, that's going to kill you. Just straight up. So, you can't you can't just, like, lick a peanut. Because that's going to be too much peanut for you. <laughs> yes. But if you, like... Dipped a peanut in some water. Let it soak a little bit. Maybe that's still too strong for you. (laughs) So then you take a little bit of that peanut water and put it in with a bunch of other water. And so that's like just a little bit of peanut with each dose of water you're taking. But say that you dilute the peanut water enough such that there's actually, mathematically speaking, maybe... One atom of peanuttiness in that yes. in that water left. Less than one atom, but well, I mean, <laughs> statistically, that, that was the next logical step, <laughs> <Yeah>. Mike. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then you dilute it past where maybe maybe you have one <laughs> peanutty atom left in that tincture, mm. and then you take that. The idea being that like. The water molecules will remember what the peanuttiness looked like, and that will expose you to peanuttiness without actually exposing you to peanuttiness. That 
is universally found to be bunk. Yes. There has Other never been placebo. A, yes. Like placebo effect. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, clinically it's totally the placebo bunk. effect is also like the hallmark of the placebo effect is that it works really well in the short term. And then people, you know, go yeah, to yeah, what yeah. would actually happen because the placebo, yes. while a powerful effect in the short term is not actually an effective medical treatment. Right. Yeah. So there has never been a study which supported homeopathy that was not subsequently discredited. Yep. Cause there was one once that supported it. And then I think it was the journal nature or something like that came in and said, okay, these are, these are some pretty big claims you're making here. Let's come in and see how you do it. And then they watched the lab set up and they went, yeah, you can't do that. It's just ripe, ripe for <laughs> contamination. And yeah. so, yeah, guys widely discredited, but still making money on the, so, on the speaking circuit. Yes. But so homeopathy should not be funded. Like my, my whole approach to this to, you know, in a general sense is if, a specific treatment works and is not dangerous and is not a detriment to the person using it, then mm. by all means use it. If you use, you know, ginger root, you know, essence to mm. treat a headache, then that's fine. That's your prerogative and you're not really danging anyone. If you're, you know, 18 month old has a fever and you're not giving them Tylenol and they go into, you know, a seizure and, you know, cardiac arrest or whatever, and you know, your kid dies because you didn't treat them. and didn't take them to the hospital for real medicine or real treatment. Mm. And you were trying to stick to alternative medicine, whatever, then that's where there's an issue because you're not only endangering another person versus yourself, but you're avoiding actually treating the issue. And homeopathy is just one of many types of treatments that people turn to, you know, as a, a you know, alternative to actual treatment. Yeah. Not, not that it's a different type of medicine that also works. It's, yeah, a placebo that might work at first and then stops working. Yeah. So, like, as as far as the government funding this, you know, including their insurance, like, there's benefits. So, there's a difference between benefits plans and insurance. There's, like, the government health insurance that covers certain stuff. Yeah. And then you get supplementary benefit plans that cover stuff that the government health insurance won't cover. So, for example, the Alberta health insurance site doesn't cover stuff like, uh, yeah, like naturopath and homeopathy and massage and chiropractor and all that kind of stuff. But then there's benefits plans you can get through, you know, third parties that will cover chiropractic treatments and massage and, you know, naturopath medicine and all that kind of stuff. So this is talking about the Swiss government coming on saying this type of treatment is a legitimate enough treatment to group in with other currently accepted treatments like actual medicine. Mm. Ontario's and, health and insurance plan also started including naturopaths a few years ago, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, really? Yeah. I it, was livid. Yeah. It, okay. <laughs> I encourage people to go and find this, this link in our notes because it reads to, to a scientist, it reads like parody. Uh, 
There's a part here. Now the interior ministry has determined what many holistic practitioners already understand about the healing arts. It is, quote, impossible to provide such proof for these disciplines in their entirety. End quote. The proof of their efficacy is the individual's own experience, initiative, and commitment. Holistic therapies are not like synthetic drugs. The whole person is treated, not just a symptom. It's impossible to gauge an alternative therapy on paper in a perfectly controlled environment. The proof is typically in the observation, in the progress of healing over time. Like That, that reads like parody to anyone who is, has ever done science. <laughs> Real-time follow-up? I'm wrong. Something happened a few years ago while I was in London. And I was very mm. upset about it, but it was apparently not naturopathy. Okay. If only I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> You'll also see the link I posted in the, in the notes. Yes. Parents of toddler who died of meningitis asked Alberta naturopath for mm. immune system boost. So yeah. that recently and that's, and that's happened. that's what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. That, I was going to say Mike's story sounded like that where yeah. a child actually did need Tylenol. The child had meningitis and subsequently died because yeah. they were giving them like maple syrup. Yeah. No, it's, 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 you want to laugh, but it's true. No, but that's terrifying. Disgusting. No, that's a whole thing, right? It's like, uh, that's, yeah. Don't even want to get into it. <laughs> Basically, the, the lesson is don't, uh, like, medicine is medicine for a reason. There's, yeah. Big pharma might have, it's corrupt aspect. And there are people like there, there are drugs that, especially in the States that are tens or hundreds or thousands of times more expensive than they should be because people are terrible. But that doesn't mean that the medicine itself is bad. These, there are medications that are necessary for people that pharmaceutical companies have developed over years of testing on non-humans and then on humans and then like doing controlled trials to specifically see if things get better, not, waiting to see if people get healed and then claiming that your drug works. It like, yeah. that's not how it works. We've, we've gone through the scientific method. If the scientific method did show that that kind of testing was valid, then we would accept that treatment. It, it, there's nobody here that is seeking to continue to give people drugs to treat their symptoms, but not make them better just to make money. There, that's yeah. not a thing. It's that disease is hard. And every time we cure a disease, new ones come up that are now the thing that kills the most people. Like life expectancy yeah. is getting better because we're yeah. healing all of these easy diseases. And we have things like cancer and that like, um, what do you call them? Drug resistant antibiotics, uh, resistant strains of bacteria. Like these, yeah. We are now making our own worst enemies through the use of these drugs, but it used to be that just basic infections killed a lot of the people that yeah. got infected by them. Yeah. Like this is the same mindset that anti oil people <laughs> yes. have where they'll campaign against it, blah, 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 but they, they still want the luxuries that oil allows for them. Yeah. Right. Without realizing that that's what they're doing. And to these people that, you know, say, oh, well, medicine is the worst and big pharma, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, in that case, let's, let's see what your life would look like if you didn't have all that stuff. And surprise, you're dead when you're 25. Yeah. Like, yeah. like actually, because from the time you're born, you're relying on medicine to make sure you and your mother stay alive. Yep. So it's like, I don't know. It's the, the, the disconnect is mind boggling. Yeah. With, with some of these people. So, uh, 
I mean, that seems like a good pla- as good a place as any to end it. Do you guys have anything else to say on on this before we close out? Other than don't Canada, don't do this. Switzerland, like okay. The thing is that people in Switzerland voted for this to be a thing. A lot of people in Switzerland like this initiative it's because democracy doesn't work because people are idiots <laughs> but see people are also evil so you can't yeah there's there there's no a lot good. going on yeah but man this is not informed decision making by the swiss people and the fact that they have put it into law is not any kind of science working here it's just politics and yeah it it's bad it bad and potentially dangerous really maybe maybe we're just setting ourselves up for 50 year cycles in yeah, which yeah, kind of yeah people get exposed like in the 50s we had polio we had meningitis uh rubella what's the other one mumps Mm-hmm. It killed a lot of people, like people that got whooping cough. They fully support vaccines because they know that is a very unpleasant experience. Yes. And so we widely embraced vaccines and then nobody dealt with them anymore. And so they stopped getting vaccinated because. Because they read the wrong things and they believed them and mistakes were made. And maybe right. now we're going, we've like hit the bottom of the trough and enough people are dying of entirely preventable diseases that maybe we're going to go back on a vaccine streak. I hope but, so. Well, for the sake of humanity, I hope so too. Yeah. That said, I hear a lot of things saying we're overpopulated. So maybe this will thin the herd. I don't know. <laughs> that Uh-oh. was a joke in very poor taste. <laughs> Next but, gone off the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't cut know. it, cut it, Nick's gone. <laughs> maybe maybe this is like humanity's lemming moment. Like, despite the fact that apparently lemmings do not necessarily run yeah. off the edge of cliffs. That's just a thing people say. The, the fact that that was also a conspiracy. <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe that's what we're doing. Maybe yeah. humanity has realized we're overpopulated and we're just going off the deep end a little bit. The earth is healing itself. I'm so like. upset. This is yeah. stupid. It's not uh it's not great when people who aren't like scientifically non-literate people are making decisions that cuz right now in theory giving someone a harmless treatment doesn't do anything bad but if they're getting a harmless treatment when they need one that will actually help then that's when bad things happen so yeah. it, it seems it's like oh what harm could this do but then you have scientists like uh this is the harm it could do when this happened like very recently in our past yeah. like it's it's amazing again going back to the disconnect and you're saying about it being harmless and that's that's true like i've seen so many posts on facebook and again it's i don't know why it's facebook yeah, but it I is i don't know why it's it's people be like oh i yeah i had a cold and i took this oil <laughs> this is oil this oil and some tylenol and i felt better yeah and it's yeah. like you took tylenol <laughs> <laughs> that's why you feel better and it's I don't know. Did I tell you guys the story of how when Maria was, uh, when we were, and Emma was being born, she had the, uh, the epidural and had the little button thing to like add 
yeah like to allow the dose so for a while she was using it it's like oh this is working so well and then it's like all of a sudden like stop working she's like so she called the nurse over it's like oh the button wasn't connected to your thing <laughs> so so the, the whole time prior to that it was literally the placebo huh. Huh. helping her and and she was getting pain relief just from clicking a button that's crazy and and that i was like as a scientist or as someone that's in, fascinating in science i was like this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone else appreciated it to the same extent, but it's like, that was, that was amazing. Yeah, that <laughs> was cool. But, but, Placebo but effect, like you were saying, right at, at some, at some point it stops working. Right. Mm-hmm. And at that, it's like, okay, I, I need an actual painkiller now. Right. So <laughs> I once, I once had a friend who had a headache and I asked her like what she'd had to eat that day. And she goes, oh, you know, like nothing. And it was past noon. So I was like, you should just like, just mix some sugar in with water and drink that. You'll feel better almost instantly. She's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, gets back to me about an hour later. Hey, it's talking to my mom on the phone. And she said I should have a cup of tea. And I did. And I feel so much better. <laughs> I was like, did you put sugar in your tea? She goes, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh man. This um I don't know if you guys heard I, I put this on my website on my blog uh a few weeks ago about cold FX. Similar yeah. idea yeah. that yeah. people take it all the time. And I've always I've always said I don't think this is a real effect. Like they say <laughs> there's nothing there's no medicine in it. Well, there just- was there was a Kaya's doctor actually said she should use it because there were really I guess there were trials in which it came out positive like it came out as working well and the doctor literally looked at us I, I don't get it I honestly don't but apparently it works so you may as well use it but I think that Rob what your thing was saying that cold effects falsified yeah some of those trials or something which would right? make or- sense because like the doctor was a good scientist. She was like, I don't get it. I don't think yeah. it should work, but the it, trials yeah. say it works. So you may as well. It's one of those things where it's not harmful to take it because right. there's nothing really in it, but there, there's probably going to be a, uh, if not a recall, then at least a class action settlement where anyone who purchased cold effects is eligible for a partial refund, depending on how much they bought over the years it's been sold. Where it, it yeah. just doesn't work. Yeah. Like, I th- I'd imagine that for the people who take it and it, quote unquote, works, again, they're not running their own scientific yeah. trial or anything. But for the people who, you know, anecdotally say it works, they probably just naturally wouldn't get sick that much anyway. Right. Like, it's that statistical outliers anyway. So, and the people who do get sick, like, it's just yeah. well, they're getting sick, right? So yeah. Minor viruses are very hard to treat. I think what I'd like to say is that children are actually like literally an example of extremely vulnerable citizens. Yeah. Because they don't have a lot of traditional protections that we would offer to any other citizens. We need to mandate vaccines because. Yeah, we do. Like it is entirely possible that they could die for no, through no fault of their own. Yeah. And I think this is literally a nanny state moment where we need to mandate these things because people won't do it themselves. Bye, bye, broadcast. <laughs>